spot elsewhere in the air as well as one of the So if you have questions about it, let me know, but just be aware if you have issues, that's perfectly fine, I accept those, but I will reiterate the entire thing, not just the question you have issues with. Um, other things, so lots and lots of questions on confusing topics. Um, lots of really good questions. Um, and so, deal with a few things to start off with. For this section of the class, lots of questions about, all right, do we need to know these pathways? Right? You guys have seen them a number of times, I would assume. Um, I do expect you know the pathways. Right? So, as I've said, I'm not a big fan of memorization. Um, many of you may find that the way you understand the pathways are memorizing. What I try to do is to teach you the chemistry for why things happen in the way they do. Mainly because I can't go up there and draw for you every single one of those pathways. What I can do is know what it starts with, know a couple of things in the middle, know what goes at the end, and walk my way through it and tell you probably how it's going to work. Right? And that's the way I like to think about these things. Um, so you should know each of these pathways, familiarize yourself with it. Um, and the question about do I really require you to memorize the enzymes, right? I don't necessarily require you to memorize the enzymes, all right? And the reason I take that approach is, we'll go through a couple of examples to see why, but it's really the fact that memorizing enzymes, in my opinion, you miss the point, all right? Understanding the pathways and how they're going to flow actually makes a lot more sense to me. And additionally, the enzymes have a tendency to have different names depending on who studied them at what time. Um, but if you understand how it works and you understand the process, that to me is, at least in my mind, works a little bit easier to understand it. But there are some particular enzymes we discussed that have relevance. For example, if you go through glycolysis, there are three particular enzymes that catalyze a step that has significant changes in thermodynamics. And the cell that adjusts the activity of those particular enzymes, right? So if you look through glycolysis, there are some enzymes that are clearly that I focused in on that are influenced by the presence of phosphinylpyruvate, ADP, fructose 6-phosphate. And those are the enzymes that I would focus in on. Okay, I'm not going to require you to remember a single enzyme. But hopefully you'll start to see the pattern is that whenever you see a phosphorylation, generally it's referred to as a kinase. And then you start to see the pattern of chemistry that happens in the system. Right? The other thing about this is I've been asked uh, in the confusing topics lots of questions about transketolases and transaldolases and how do you push all the electrons around and it's confusing. Um, I mentioned it last time, but I'll just point out again. There is a file, uh, UW says carbon carbon bond break, I think it's the file on it. And what I've done, this is to give you an example, here's the transketolase. Right? What I've done is to summarize some general information for you to think about when you're looking at these types of reactions. Right? So what I've tried to do is give you an idea of how my mind works when I start looking at these, these questions. And then I push all the electrons down here, including the loss of TPP off the enzyme, how you get this to react with it, why this comes off when it does, and then how this attacks the next substrate. Because you're going to have two substrates, always in a transketolase and a transaldolase, and two products. Okay? 
And so you have to understand how they join together. So there's a transketolase mechanism in those notes. There's a transalbolase mechanism in those notes. All the deprovoxylation reactions in those can get a figure-out pathway of glycolysis needs for the TCA cycle. Walk yourself through them. Look at my notes. Understand how that process works. Right? So instead of me redrawing all that and walking all through today, I'll just highlight, go to those notes, right? Because they will hopefully allow you to see the understanding of how this process works. Although I did notice, I apologize, one error in this. Which of course I don't have that one here. One of them that has water coming out of the reaction you want to be going in. So hopefully as you walk yourself through those reactions, you'll realize what reaction is incorrect. So don't see one. Everyone okay with that? <coughs> I mean, this is as best as I can do in getting you to go through this system to understand the logic. So the other questions for the confusing topics really dealt with <coughs> other aspects of what you need to know about the exam, obviously. Um, but also about how to think about these pathways. So one of the things I've told you you have to know are those 12 essential precursors. Right? So what are those 12? Let's go Okay, so we got glucose 6 five. What else? Ribose 
Pentosphosphate. Erythrose four phosphate. Is it only glycolysis? All of them. All of them. So what else? And, uh, so you can get there from the end of Deuterop pathway? You can get to some of these from that too. Can you also get there from the pentose phosphate pathway? Right? Three phosphoglycerate. So some of these can occur in multiple. We haven't even talked about gluconeogenesis, right? <coughs> Pyruvate, glycolysis, <coughs> or at a deuterophile pathway or the pentosphosphate pathway, PEP. So this is the type of information I want you to know. Succinyl-CoA, acetyl-CoA, oxaloacetate, alkylglutarate, right? Know where they come from and how they're generated. <coughs> so another question. I got it. It's related to this. Is that you learn these pathways over and over and over again? Theory, or we learn them, we forget them. We try to learn them, we forget them again. We have to do it over and over again. All right. So why do we always come back to this? These central metabolic pathways are they distributed all over the place? Smiley. Some yeses. I hope you say yes. Right. So. <coughs> If you're starting with a molecule of glucose, and if you think about how things evolved, how they came about, <coughs> if you think about these pathways, you're going to take it all the way to extreme, you're going to use this for energy generation. You don't want to incorporate it all into carbon. The issue is glucose has six carbons, and all of them need to get to CO2. Because it's energy, and what you're doing is using glucose as an electron source. And you're yanking out all the electrons out of it you can, getting any ATP out of it, and any of those electrons you got out, you're dumping into potentially an electron transport chain to generate energy out of the process. So, in this process of going that way, there's also, if you're not going to use it for energy, potentially you can use it for carbon. Right? You won't necessarily go all the way to CO2, but potentially you could. So if you have 12 essential precursors, that in essence all forms of life need, you've either got to synthesize them yourself or you've got to get them somewhere else. Why do you think these pathways are so conserved? Do you think that there are endless mechanisms of going from glucose to CO2? Yes? So that's actually a good answer. So there might be some exotic mechanisms. So there always are going to be exemptions to any part of rules of biology. You can almost guarantee if someone's going to say all of everything works this way, they're probably wrong. But biology uses a limited amount of chemistry, right? In order to do this, these types of reactions, you're limited by amino acids on all your enzymes. There's only 20 of them. Of those 20, there's only a limited number that actually have any catalytic capabilities at all. all right? 
So leucine, in essence, a very hydrophobic molecule, doesn't have any carbons or anything out there that are reactive, right? So you have a limited amount of chemistry that can happen based on amino acids. You also have a limited number of cofactors. And because of that, biology uses a very small amount of chemistry, right? And there's only so many ways to get the carbons off of glucose and release them as carbon dioxide. The pattern always happens. And it's best exemplified by the fact that bacteria have these pathways. The vast majority of them. <clears throat> you have these pathways, right? It's pretty extremes in evolutionary biology, but the pathways stay the same. It's because it's really limited in what can happen. And the reason why I teach metabolism that way is that if you're looking at a molecule, let's say you're going to grow on glycerol, and many organisms can actually What do you think the cell is going to try to do with that molecule? Well, I think we'll get to that. <laughs> In a general sense, does it, is it going to try to find some exotic mechanism for how to modify this? Or is it going to do its best to get to one of those 12 essential precursors? What do you think it's going to do? It's going to get to those 12, right? Which ones do you think it'll most likely get to? Um, glycerol, right, so you can immediately say, all right, what the cell needs to do is get to one of those, right? Because again, we're going to go through how these pathways are all, all interrelated. But you get to one, you can get through and move around to all the others, right? So there is a recommendation for phosphorylation. And that's actually the first step that happens. There's a couple of reasons for that. <coughs> One of which is to keep the molecule in the cell so you can also get a concentration gradient of it. So what would be the next step? Because I'm sure you've memorized the structures of all those already. Glyceraldehyde 3 phosphate. A reduction or an oxidation? Which one? Where would you do it? So you can do that there. So could it happen at the other one? So what if we did that? So, the cells growing on glycerol, the first thing you 
can do is say, well, it's a free carbon compound. I know it must go through. Try to get to those 12 essential precursors. The most logical one is glyceraldehyde three phosphate or three phosphate glycerate. Right? So how come the second molecule can't just be oxidized to glyceraldehyde three phosphate? So this molecule? Yeah. I mean, you just attack the top group. Yes, it's a great question. So what would need to happen? So <clears throat> you use ATP here. We've got ATP. we got that phosphate. What has to happen to get this molecule into this molecule? Right, so you're going to do an oxidation. So what are you going to do from here to here? You're just going to move it around, right? So that allows you to then just move that very generally. If you turn around and do this by, um, by doing the, the first reaction, in essence, it gives you the same product. Right? And if you were to propose that you knew nothing about metabolism, you just would think that we would get to that molecule by skipping around dihydroxy acid phosphate then there's that possibility it would happen that way. Right? And so that would be perfectly fine to propose that. It turns out nature has decided to use dihydroxyacetone phosphate as an intermediate. Right? But in an exam question, for example, if you were to propose that, it didn't make chemical sense, and that would be okay, even if you didn't memorize that pathway. Right? But the other thing you have to think about is, <clears throat> the reason I like to think about it this way also is that this is the age of genomics. Right? What you're going to have, then, is all the molecular information that can possibly go into making a cell. If you have a molecule that you're not sure how it's going to be degraded, you could come up with a pathway that would, would give an example of how it would possibly work. All right? Now, what you need to do, then, is to go through that genomic information and decide, is it even possible for it to happen? Because if you propose, well, I think it's going to go through glycolysis, because I can just do that. You can go through and look through that genome and figure out whether that's possible. You can look for an enzyme that could potentially phosphorylate glycerol. And so by just knowing the structure of the molecule, know what you need to get to, you can develop hypotheses, and then you can go through and scan that genomic information and say, is it possible you can do that type of reaction? Right? That's what's going on in biology right now, right? Is that you have to know that genomic information, and you have to then come up with a reasonable proposal for how it would work, right? Now, one of the nice things that bacteria do that make your life a little bit simpler is that a lot of these pathways, what the cell does is cluster all the genes coding for all the enzymes involved in the degradation of a particular molecule, especially if it's something exotic, in one region of the chromosome, right? So in essence, you have the ability then to say, well, there's only five enzymes in this cluster of genes. <clears throat> Do they have the correct chemistry to get to the product that I'm proposing? And that's what you've got to do with metabolism these days. Right? So <clears throat> think about this when you go through these pathways. Okay? And if you come up with a pathway that say, well, I think it could go to actually just why not automatically oxidize this to start off with. It's 
possible. And there might be an organism out there that actually does it. So think through the metabolic pathways that way. Okay? But also, if you know this, these molecules, you know the structure of those molecules, I could give you any molecule and say, where do you think it's going to actually go? And you could propose, all right, I think it's going to phosphorylate this and it'll go straight into the pathway. Or if I do a couple of oxidations, I could get to this other pathway. Right? And odds are you're probably right. Because nature generally doesn't want to come up with some convoluted way to get somewhere. It's going to use the most efficient way to get there. Any questions about that? So as I said, metabolism to me is just a big genetic puzzle. There are certain rules that you can follow because biology has a limited amount of chemistry. You don't have to do, use palladium in any of your reactions, which is kind of nice. Although apparently that results in the Nobel Prize. One last year. Um, all right, so we were starting to go through the TCA stuff. Right? Instead of going through these notes, I want you to start thinking about it. Let's walk ourselves through a proposed pathway. Right? So don't even look at your notes. Let's think about this. How do you get acetyl-CoA to attack? 
to the neighboring permits. Makes those protons more acidic, right? Which means that something can come in, they're a catalytic base. So that base being an amino acid on the enzyme that's going to catalyze this reaction, you can pull that proton off very easily. That's because the electrons, remember this is electrophilic, so the electrons are being pulled in that direction, which means that this can move off very easily. These electrons then can be the nucleic bond. The proton's been removed, the electrons are left. Now you have a nucleophile and electrophile. So <coughs> and you hope you know that tax there, this comes out. What if we move this 
to here.
already done. So we've gotten rid of two electrons, so we've got six left to go. And we have to now take this all and we're going to draw it in a slightly different way. Oxidative decarboxylation. 
So what are we going to do now? One, two, three, four. We've got a four carbon compound. It's got CoA tethered to it. We've generated one CO2, second CO2. So we've accounted for this. So we're pretty close to the rest of the, what you're trying to get to, right? So what's a step potentially you could do from here if you're getting to here? What's uh, the one, if you think of instead of an oxidation state, think about what does one molecule have on it, the other one does. And does that tell you something about the ability to generate some energy? You want to do a higher case at this point? Well, let's, let's start first with thinking about CoA. Right? There's CoA here, but there's not one here. So I thought we got to get rid of it. How have we seen you get rid of it? Um, can you easily change um, acetyl CoA for a phosphate? So you could exchange it for a phosphate group. We've seen this in all your fermentation pathways. 
left and right. <coughs> We've seen this type of thing. Succinyl CoA, you got a CoA thioester that goes from a thioester to an acid, <coughs> phosphate in the middle, generating. So is that the TCA side? So, think about it in this way. Understand the basis for how it goes. So, we know we have to build a cat. Alright? We explained that. It's kind of a new concept for this pathway. Now, when we talked about glycolysis, the endoduterol pathway, and the pentose phosphate cycle, we talked about how you make urban work on breaks. And if you look at the pentose phosphate pathway, what it's doing is trying to get rid of CO2. So you're going from a six carbon compound to a five carbon compound and releasing carbon dioxide. You've got to set up a decarboxylation again. <laughs> so we're trying to do the same thing. You get to here, you know you've got to get rid of this. And the way to do that is try to set up a beta keto acid, decarboxylation. That's what these steps do. You set it up, now you decarboxylate it. This Going to this, we haven't spent a lot of time on it, and maybe we will in the next lecture, is we talked about how pyruvate can be converted to acetyl-CoA. Plus CO2, right? Pyruvate dehydrogenase. Right? Carbon-carbon bond breakage right adjacent to that heater group. You've got to use TPP, oxidative decarboxylation. <clears throat> Look what you've got. In essence, this could be pyruvate. Right? This part of the molecule looks a lot like pyruvate. You're ending up with these carbons being on a CoA, these carbons lost to CO2. That ends up on CoA, that's lost to CO2. That reaction is so similar that those, this particular reaction, we talked about the E1, E2, E3 enzymes, right? So it turns out that some of those components also work in this reaction, because the enzymes are nearly identical now. Right? And then we've got the here, CoA, phosphorylate, capture that phosphate as ATP. The succinate to oxaloacetate, it's a simple methylene all of these reactions we've already talked about in the other pathways. Right? So the TCA cycle, in essence, is just recycling what we've already seen in the rest of the pathways. But if you sit and try to look at these molecules and think about how would you get from there to there, you know, try to walk yourself through. Because metabolism is huge, but if you just look at the patterns, start to see it, it really simplifies down to some basic reactions. Right? And so we're going to talk about, the, we'll go back through the TCA cycle again on Wednesday, and then we'll start in talking about the fact that I tell you these, these pathways are pretty conserved. We're going to give you, going to give you an example of the TCA cycle that has a slight twist to it. It doesn't work exactly as we've drawn here. And we're going to show you the paper that actually figured out how that pathway worked. And what I want you to point out to me in that pathway as we go through it is how we, they actually did things incorrectly. It's not the way they think it works. Right? Because if you think about what happens in these pathways, 
what they're proposing can't possibly happen. Right? But it's published, it just has to be corrected. 